0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick.
1: Tell them that you're praying for them. That has a big impact on people when you tell them, I'm praying for you. And then ask them, how can I pray for you? Are there some specific things that I can pray for you for? And also encourage them to try praying and see how God might use that in their life um, as they do that. Now, in verse 54, Solomon finishes this prayer and it says that he's now, at this point, he he's dropped to his knees. So at some point in this prayer, he started out standing with his hands raised to heaven. At some point, he had dropped to his knees. He stands up, and in verse 55, he speaks to the people once again, and he reminds them of who God has called them to be. He has called them to be a people who know him and who make him known to others, knowing him and making him known. That's who we are also called to be, even now, as the people of God. And then from verses 62 to 66, we see that they have this huge seven-day-long celebration, celebrating the grand opening of the temple. And during this celebration, it says that they had just massive amounts of, of, of sacrifices, peace offerings, grain offerings. Read that they slaughtered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. That's a lot. Now, if you read in the book of Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, you'll see in those first seven chapters of Leviticus, it's laid out what are the different sacrifices that took place in the temple. And there were seven different kinds. And what's interesting is a lot of times when we talk about sacrifice, we tend to think of it only in regard to atonement for sin. But if you look at Leviticus, you'll notice that only two out of the seven sacrifices were for the atonement of sin. Other sacrifices were made for saying, you know, God, I'm dedicated to you. Other sacrifices, like for example, the peace offering, this was an offering that you would make. And uh, you would bring either grain, so there was a grain form, which we read about here, or there was a meat form. And what you would do is you would bring this offering to the temple. It would be consecrated by the priests. They'd put it on the altar, you know, where there was fire under the altar, so it would be cooked. And then you would take that meat or that grain, patty or cake or whatever that thing was that you made out of grain. And you would eat it together with other people. It was a time of fellowship. And and what it symbolized was that by this offering, by this sacrifice, or by this slain animal, you're able to have fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. And it was really like, like what we would think of like a barbecue, like a big corporate community barbecue. And so we see they had this massive corporate gathering Uh, with all of these animals being slaughtered, and they're eating, and it's just a huge party celebrating the grand opening of the temple that lasts for seven days. Sounds amazing, right? Well, it was amazing, unless you were one of the people who was not allowed to be there. Now, you might say, what do you mean? Who wasn't allowed to be there? Wasn't everybody invited? Well, yes, everybody was invited, except for those who were not allowed to come. Now, who was not allowed to come? Here's who those who were unclean, those who were unclean. Now, there were several ways to become unclean. For example, if you came in contact with a dead body or a dead animal, that would make you unclean. If you had an open wound or a flow of blood, that would make you unclean. And perhaps the most devastating way to become unclean was to be a leper, right, to be a leper. If you were unclean for any of these reasons, then you would not be allowed to take part in this great feast, this festival, this party that was taking place that celebrated fellowship with God. So imagine, you know, like those drone shots, right, where the drone starts out on the ground and raises up. And you can see, you know, the the image from above, the, the big party taking place. You would see the temple there in the center. You'd see the temple courts with its walls, right, made of cedar like we read about last week. And within those walls, thousands of people eating and having having merriment and a good time. And then you would see the, the courtyard walls. And outside the walls, there would be other people, people who were not allowed to come in because they were unclean for various reasons. Now, of all the different forms and ways to become unclean, leprosy was by far the most devastating. And the reason it was devastating is because there was no cure there was no way to be cleansed if you had leprosy. All the other forms of uncleanness, you could be cleansed from. They were temporary, right? If you had a flow of blood, well, when it, when it was no longer flowing, well, then you would take a ritual bath, and you would be able to enter into fellowship again. If you had touched a dead body, you wait a certain number of days, and then you would be able to cleanse and go into fellowship again. But if you had leprosy, there was no way to fix your situation. You couldn't just wait it out. It wouldn't just go away. There was no cure. So for the rest of your life, this is your life. You are cut off. You are excluded from the glory and the presence of God that is there in the temple. You're not even allowed to enter into the courts. Think about it. If you sinned, you couldn't even go and make a sin offering to make atonement for your sins because you're not even allowed to enter the temple courts. It was a hopeless, lonely existence as you waited to slowly die. Pretty depressing, right? Good thing that we're not like that, right? I bet you're thinking to yourself, I'm glad I'm not one of those guys. Well, unfortunately, that's exactly who you are. That's exactly who I am. You see, leprosy in the Bible is one of the clearest pictures of sin. Leprosy, like sin, starts out under the skin under the surface, and it spreads throughout your entire body. It causes your flesh to die while you're still walking around and living. And all of the things that are true of leprosy are also true of sin. See, the Bible tells us that because of our sin, we are dead. We are dead people walking, dead spiritually, even when we're alive physically. And like leprosy, sin isolates you. It isolates you from God and from others. It puts you on the outside, cut off from fellowship. It makes you unclean and defiled. And it is absolutely hopeless because there is nothing that you can do to fix it. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament law, in the law of Moses, in Leviticus 13, we read the law of the leper, and there's laws that not only deal with how to handle leprosy, but they also talked about what to do in the case of a person who was cured from leprosy. Now, here's why that's interesting. Because there was not a cure for leprosy. In other words, the only way to be cured from leprosy was by an act of God. And this is why one of the signs by which people were told that they would be able to recognize the Messiah when he came is that the Messiah would be one who would cleanse and heal lepers. Because again, everyone knows the only way to be healed of leprosy is an act of God. And so when Jesus came along, and he started saying, and people started saying, this guy is the Messiah. He's the promised Savior. Their immediate question was, among many questions, but one of their questions was, "Okay, does he heal lepers? We read that one time a delegation came to Jesus of John the Baptist followers, and they said, Jesus, we just want to know for sure, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, well, look around, and what do you see? The blind are able to see. The lepers, he said, are cleansed, and the gospel is preached to the poor. He goes, what more proof do you need? In other words, this was the proof that Jesus was the Messiah, that he healed lepers, And the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus did not only come to heal the leprosy of lepers back then, but Jesus has come to heal you and to heal me of our spiritual leprosy as well. See, we were on the outside, cut off from fellowship with God because of our defilement, because we were unclean, unable to do anything to fix our condition. But Jesus came, and on the cross, He took our defilement upon himself. He was nailed to the cross. And our defilement was nailed to the cross with him. And by faith, as we are raised to new life through his resurrection, through his life, we become new creations free of that leprous condition. And that that wasn't something, again, that you could do for yourself. It was an act of God. And so, so here's what's happened. Because you have been cleansed in Jesus, Now you can enter into fellowship with God. You can enter into that feast. And one day, you have this promise that you will be brought into the feast to end all feasts when God seats you at his table and you enjoy fellowship with him forever. This glory cloud, by the way, we see it throughout the Bible. But this wasn't the only manifestation of God's glory that we see throughout the scriptures. There was another manifestation of God's glory equally as great, perhaps, and actually certainly greater. Remember, glory, how did we define it? It is the radiant outshining of God's character. We're told in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, that the Word was God. And then we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians chapter 1, we're told that Jesus, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God's glory, the outshining of God's character, made tangible and visible for us to see and feel. In Jesus, we see God's character in a walking, talking, touching person. If you want to see the glory of God manifested, it is found most fully, most clearly, most perfectly in Jesus. But that's not all. Not only has God, uh, not only is Jesus the perfect manifestation of God's glory, and not only did Jesus come in order to cleanse us from our spiritual leprosy so that we who were defiled could be cleansed, so that we who were cut off could be brought near. But, and this is our second point as we move through this, just as God's glory filled the temple, God has placed the light of his glory in us who believe. He has placed the light of his glory in us who believe. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're told something incredible and astounding, and that's this. That God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, we're told by Paul the Apostle that there's this amazing mystery, this great treasure that has been put in us as Christians. He calls it Christ in you, the hope of
0: glory. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., we have implemented procedures to ensure your safety as we gather for worship and studying God's word. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: See, what happens when you put your faith in Jesus is not only are you cleansed from spiritual leprosy, not only are you brought in to fellowship with God, but God actually indwells you by his spirit. Jesus Christ, the manifestation, the fullest manifestation of God's glory, not only came and lived here on earth, but now for those who put their faith in him and embrace God's grace, he comes and he indwells you. See, what we're told there, essentially, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, is that the same glory that filled the temple, the glory of God, he has now placed that same light of his glory in us who believe. It's incredible, right? Now, now, here's the question Why would he do that? Well, look, look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the very next verse, verse 7, it says this We have this treasure of God's glory, the light of his glory, in jars of clay. Now, what, is, what does that mean? That's referring to our earthly physical bodies right these bodies of ours that were made from the dust of the earth into the dust they will return paul is comparing them to earthen jars not ornate ceramic marble or golden you know vessels no 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 think terracotta jars, right? Rough pots made of clay and mud. That's you and me. We're earthy. We're, we're dirty type of people. We're made from the dirt of the earth, and to the earth we will return. And yet in these dusty bodies, God has placed this incredible treasure, the light of God's glory. But the question is this. Why would God do that? What would, what would be the purpose in him putting his glory inside of me or inside of you? Now, we talked about last week how the temple was a foreshadowing of who we become in Christ. And just as God, even though he's omnipresent, his presence was specially present there in the temple in a special way, the same is true for us in Christ. And just as the glory of the Lord filling the temple was God's stamp of approval on the temple, in the same way God's placing of his spirit inside of us is like his stamp of approval on us. In fact, the Bible tells us exactly that in Ephesians chapter 1. We're told this, in him also, that's in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A seal that he's talking about, it was a stamp that you would put into hot wax. So maybe you had a letter. You put wax on the envelope, and you would stamp it with your personal seal. It was like your signature. It's like signing off on an important document or official letter. You would pour some hot wax on there. You'd take your seal, your stamp, and you would press it into there. And it would show that this bore the stamp of your approval. And in the same way that the filling of the temple in the time of Solomon was God's stamp of approval on the temple, we now, as the people of God, as the community of believers, we have become temples for the living God. God has placed the light of his glory and his presence inside of you and has put his stamp of approval on you that you are his, that he has redeemed you, and he is going to see you through. But there's another reason, and that is our third point. There's another reason why God has placed the light of his glory in us who believe. See, just as God's glory filled the temple, God has placed the light of his glory in us who believe with the goal that it would get out for others to see. As Solomon speaks about the temple, one of the things he reminds the people is that the temple has a missionary purpose, a missionary purpose. Now, in the same way, we who are now called temples of the living God, he has placed the light of his glory in us, in Christ, One of the purposes for that is a missionary purpose, that that light would get out for others to see and be drawn to him. Just as God says in Isaiah chapter 60, nations will be drawn to your light. Kings will be drawn to the brightness of your shining. See, God has placed the light of his glory inside of us with the goal that people would see it and be drawn to relationship with God. But the question is this, if this light is inside of us, then how will people see it? How will people see it? How will it become visible? And I'll tell you two ways as we finish today, two ways. Number one is this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And he said in the next verse, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's the first way. One of the ways that people see the light of God's glory in your life is when you walk in those good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do. People see the difference that God has made in our lives. But there's a second way, and this is where I'd like to finish today. The second way that people see the light of God's glory that he has placed within you is through brokenness. Remember, we talked about that at the beginning, brokenness. How does light get out for other people to see? One of the ways is by those clay jars that we are being broken so that the light can shine forth. You know, when uh, Rosemary and I were first married, we had a set of dishes in our house that Rosemary inherited from her dad when he passed away. And so, of course, they were very meaningful to us, and we kept them with us. And as we moved from different flats and different places where we lived, and as we had kids, and they would inevitably get Uh, knocked off the table, they'd fall on the ground, and some of them would break. And so what I would do whenever these dishes broke is that I would take them and I would glue them back together with super glue. And two things would happen when you glued those dishes back together with super glue. One, One interesting thing is that the glued up parts, right, where the glue was, was actually stronger than the parts that had never been broken. The other thing that happened was this. Whenever these dishes broke, you know how dishes are. When they break, there are small pieces that are lost in the process. So when you glue them back together, you end up with cracks and holes. And if you held those plates or those bowls up to a light, the cracks and the holes, you could actually see the light streaming through them. And that's a perfect picture of who we are as clay jars. There are moments in our lives where we get hit, where we get banged around, and we break, and we crack. And God, in his loving mercy, he takes us, and he glues us back together. And those parts of our lives where those breaks took place, and he's applied the glue to heal those cracks, oftentimes, those parts in our lives actually become stronger than they were before. But when we're broken, there are small parts of us that are lost as well in the process. And it's through those cracks and those holes that are left behind that the light of God's glory that is within us can shine forth for others to see. And as the light of God's glory shines out of those broken but healed parts of your life, it can bring God's light into the dark places of other people's lives. This whole picture of light being contained in a clay jar, it reminds us of a story in the Old Testament in the book of Judges, chapter 7. Maybe you've heard of Gideon before. Well, Gideon had a small number of people, and the army of the Midianites was camped against them. They were harassing them, giving them a hard time, and they were about to wipe them out. And so Gideon is told in the middle of the night to take this small band of people. They don't have enough people to fight the Midianites themselves. And so God says, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a torch. Every man needs to carry a torch. And I want you to light these torches, but I want you to put them inside of or encase them in clay jars. So there we go, right? Light inside of clay jars. And so what do they do? Well, they go in the middle of the night, in the darkest moment of the night, and they surround the Midianite camp while the Midianites slept. And on the count that Gideon gave, every man took his clay jar, and at the same time, they broke those jars. And what happened as the jars were broken? The light that was within them shone forth. And through that tactic, God's people were victorious. In other words, light, in order for the light to be revealed, the clay jar had to be broken. And friends, isn't that often the case in our lives as well? God does some of his greatest work in us and through us through moments of brokenness, it's not comfortable in the moment. No one wants to be broken, but God does big things in us and through us by allowing us to be broken. Maybe you remember another story, a woman who anointed Jesus' feet on the night before he was crucified. It says that she brought this perfume that came in an alabaster box. And in order for that beautiful aroma of the perfume to be released and poured out so that people could smell it and feel it, what had to happen? That alabaster box had to be broken. Now we're told in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we who have been redeemed by Jesus, we actually bear his aroma. We carry the aroma of Jesus in our lives. And here's what I'm here to tell you. Sometimes in order for that beautiful aroma to be released from our lives, in order for other people to experience it, it requires for us as vessels to be broken during this time of brokenness, during this COVID-19 pandemic, as you're being broken out of your routine, as you're being broken out of your comfort zone, I want you to ask yourself this. What is it that is coming out of my life as I'm being broken? Is it the light of God's glory? Is it the aroma of Christ? I, I sincerely hope it is. But even if it isn't, Whatever it is that you see coming out of your life during this time as you're being broken, even if it's not something that you want to see, even if it's not something beautiful or fragrant, this is an opportunity for God to work in your life and bring growth and maybe even break you out of a rut or an unhealthy pattern. And in conclusion, I just want to encourage you, don't despise times of brokenness. Don't despise the breaking experiences in your lives because God wants to use them for good to accomplish his work in you and through you in powerful ways. And as we do this, we remember that Jesus, he was broken for us in order to heal that which is broken in us, in order to heal that which is broken in the world once and for all. That is the hope that we have in him, and that's the hope that we're going to celebrate now as we take communion together.